1 Corinthians 15, I want to preach to you this morning. If I can find my notes, of course, if I can't find my notes, I'll preach to you anyway. But uh, I want to preach to you this morning about beyond the grave, beyond the grave. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, let's look in verse 1. The Bible says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I have preached, un- what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. I'm so glad this morning that I'm not serving a dead Savior. Uh, my Savior is not in the grave. He's not in the tomb. He's alive, and he's, he's alive forevermore. And I want to talk to you about that this morning. I don't want to just talk to you about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to talk to you about your resurrection. Because Jesus Christ came up, one day you're going to come up. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, God being my helper. Lord, I pray that you'd help us this morning. God, pray that you'd uh, strengthen us. God, give me understanding. God, give me the ability to preach as I ought to. And Lord, I know, God, that this is traditionally, God, here in America, this is traditionally a day, God, where people recognize, Lord, Easter Sunday, they recognize this as the day, God, where we celebrate, Lord, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and Lord, that honestly, Lord, you know, it was not my intent to preach this message because of that, Lord, just something, Lord, that I've been brewing on for the last week or so, and God, something that's been a help and an encouragement to me, God, and so, Lord, I pray, God, that you'd help us this morning, God, speak to our hearts, and Lord, uh, strengthen us, God, for the journey ahead, and we'll thank you for it, God, and pray, Lord, I pray with all of my heart, God, that you'd soon return, God, I pray that the rapture of the church would take place soon, God, that you'd come and get us out of here, Lord, we'll thank you for it, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, like I said, as I was praying, this is traditionally, they call this Easter Sunday, which really did not have its uh, start, uh, I know this is probably going to break some of your hearts, and I would say that I'm sorry, but I'm really not. This is not, it, Easter didn't start out as a, uh, as a Christian holiday. It, it was a pagan holiday, and it was something that the Catholic Church adopted because it was a way to get the pagans to come to church uh, in the Catholic Church back when the Catholic Church started kicking off under Constantine, I believe it was. And so they, they adopted all this stuff so that they could, so that they could get... Uh, pagan people to feel comfortable down at the church. And having said that, if you want to take Easter Sunday and have a nice day where all you ladies dress up in your Sunday best and, and real nice dresses, and I saw little Ellie Mae come in here with a hat on, and it reminded me of all these Presbyterian churches that I watch on Sermon Audio. And I don't doesn't bother me at all. I, I don't say that to make fun of anything. I, it doesn't bother me at all. I kind of like it, to be honest with you. I like it when you go to church and all the ladies got hats on. You did, know, you did know that that's not wrong. That's not a sin. It's wrong for a man to have a hat on because he dishonors, he dishonors his head. Man's made, according to 1 Corinthians, man's made in the image of the Lord. But that, that woman is made in the image of man. And so it's okay for her to wear a hat. And don't get mad at me. I'm not, I'm not discriminatory. Actually, I am discriminatory. I can tell the difference between men and women. So there's nothing wrong with that. But... But this is a day where we typically, people typically put a large emphasis on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And let me just say this as a, as a, as a form of encouragement to you. Every Sunday we come to church and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And I've said to you before to get on with the message, I've said to you before that I'm not sure that there is a more valuable doctrine in the Bible than the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that with all of my heart, with maybe, listen, with maybe the exception of the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know that there's a more important doctrine in the Bible, and I don't say that to slight any of the other doctrines that are in the Bible. I just say that because... If the resurrection, if the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus Christ falls apart, then there's a lot of other stuff that falls apart. And one of those things is the fact that one day, if you die before the Lord raptures the church out of this place, one of the things that will fall apart if you do away, if you do away with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, another doctrine that will fall apart is your ability for you to resurrect. It, it's, the, it's the possibility, it's the guarantee, I should say, of when the Lord comes back at the rapture of the church, you're going to get up the same way that Jesus did. And so it's an important, it's a, it's an important doctrine. And listen, uh, let me just say this in passing for the benefit of our church, because that is who I'm preaching to this morning. If you're tuning in and you're a member of some church somewhere else, this will be true for you nonetheless. Let me just make this comment that doctrine is not boring. Doctrine is not boring. I don't know why it is. I do know why it is, and I'm going to talk about it here in just a second for a couple of minutes. It's in my notes. I made a, a point to talk about this this morning, to preach about it. We're, we're living in a society, in independent, quote-unquote, Bible-believing Baptist churches, which has become a term that means absolutely nothing. It means nothing, unfortunately, unfortunately. Not saying that to scorn independent, Bible-believing, fundamental Baptists. Not saying that to make fun of them. I'm saying that because it's a shame. The term means nothing anymore. And the reason that it means nothing is because people have largely lost an interest in doctrine. And let me tell you something. Doctrine, doctrine is the lifeblood of a local New Testament church. If you lose your focus on doctrine and start making it on anything else, you cease to become a local New Testament church. Doctrine is why we do what we do. If doctrine falls apart, then your practice falls apart. The reason that people don't witness like they should is because they don't have a right concept about doctrine. You might be informed about right doctrine. You might give a mental assent to doctrine, quote unquote, but it, it's, it's because you don't believe it. You really don't believe what you're reading. You don't really believe what the Bible says. And so doctrine is not boring. Some of the most interesting stuff, listen, let me put it to you like this. Let me just say it this way. Anything in the Bible that you know because it's the truth, that's doctrine. What, you, what, people, what people lose sight of, what people lose interest in, is when some highfalutin professor gets up and he preaches from the pulpit like he's got a bunion on his tongue and he starts talking in all these terms that nobody can understand and they say, if that's doctrine, I'm not interested in it. Listen, doctrine is just simply what the Bible says is true. And so doctrine, I'm not trying to preach a message in defense of doctrine, but I feel like that needs to be said this morning because this morning what we want to look at is the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. going to look at how that plays out towards your resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Doctrine is not something to be slighted. It's not something to be disregard, disregarded. And so there's, but there's an intrinsic supreme value that's placed on the resurrection of Jesus Christ because it unlocks other doctrines. It unlocks several other things in the Scripture. And 
I don't know, listen, I don't know, here it is Easter Sunday, I don't know of another doctrine in the Bible that has been more slighted and more disregarded and more thrown into the trash can because of its commercial aspect than this doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus Christ with maybe the exception of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Those two doctrines have been commercialized to such the degree that they're basically in the hearts and minds of God's people, they're nullified. Listen, the birth of Jesus Christ as the virgin-born Son of God, it still means something. And listen, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the fact that Jesus Christ shook off the chains of death, he shook off, shook off the power that death had over him. Uh, listen, and listen, I, I say that he had, death had power over him, but really he's, he laid down his own life. Death didn't have power over him. Death may have thought that he had power over him, but Jesus Christ said, he said, I lay my life down willingly. He said, no man takes it from me. And he said, on top of that, I'm going to take it up again. And so, so it means something. Listen, it means something this morning. The, the resurrection of Jesus Christ means something. And we're living in an age where people would rather have sensationalism than they'd rather have the truth. And what you've gotten into is an, is an attitude where sensationalism blocks the truth. It blocks the truth. It gets into the place to where people are hindered from looking at the truth. It's bothering back, back here, so I'm going to shut this, and it's probably going to fly back open so that I can have something to obsess over during the service. But people have gotten into a situation to where they'd rather have things so sensational, and when you sit down with the Word of God and start looking at what the Bible says, you start looking at doctrine, you start looking at what the Scripture has to say, it just kind of, well, it's not very fun, and it doesn't feel very good to do this, and so people just lose attention. But listen, I'm telling you, if you get the truth of God down in your heart, you'll get a sensation. You'll get a sensation that this old world cannot supply and that you, money can't buy, education can't provide it for you, but you've got, to, you've got to set your heart on the truth. You've got to set your heart on the truth. And so uh, let me give you a little illustration of this, of what I'm talking about. I got a little bit of time this morning. I'm going to take as much time as I need this morning. Uh, go around town this morning, and you got all these little red bows on the mailboxes. And so you pull over, and you get out, and you look at these little mailboxes because you see this little card hanging on there. And they say, this, this bow, this red bow represents the power of the blood of Jesus. And I assume, listen, I assume that what's going on is somebody thought about it out of the Scripture, out of the book of Exodus, and said, well, hey, they put the blood of a lamb on the doorpost, on the lentils in the doorpost. And they said, hey, uh, the, the death angel won't come in here. I know I'm probably stepping on somebody's toes this morning because you're probably crazy enough to put that little bow outside your house and all that is is just stupid superstitious. That's all it is. Oh, you got, listen, some of you jaybirds, some of you folks listening out at home this morning, you got more confidence in a stupid red bow than you really have confidence in your Lord. And that's a shame. That's foolishness. Uh, Listen, when God saved you, to quote the Apostle Paul, when God saved you, God saved you so that you'd turn from these vanities. Mm -hmm. I'm not worried about no black cat crossing my path. Not worried about walking underneath an open ladder. Not worried about breaking no glass. Not worried about putting some stupid red bow on your belt box. Now, if you want to do that for decoration's sake, you help yourself. Not saying that there's anything wrong with it. I'm talking about your motive this morning. Some of you folks put that little goofy bow out on your mailbox and think, oh, because I got this, that symbolizes the power of the blood of Jesus and the coronavirus is not going to get 
me. You're nuts. You're nuts. You're trusting in something. You're trusting in vanity. You're just trusting in vanity, about like most people are trusting in a vanity of a religious holiday called Easter. That's why some folks turn, tune into the scripture this morning. That's why they tune into church. Folks are sitting around at home this morning listening to an Easter service at their little favorite church. Praise the Lord. But all they're trusting in is just a little bit of vanity of their little religion. That's all they're trusting in. And listen, I'm telling you, I'm not trusting in no vanity of a religion this morning. I'm trusting in the blood of Jesus Christ, trusting in what Jesus Christ did for me at Calvary. And I'm not just trusting in the fact that he died, but I'm trusting in the fact that he died he was buried and he came up from the grave. He didn't stay in the grave. He came up. He came up. And listen, if he comes up, you're going to come up one day too if you're saved. If you're saved. Listen, I can get out here this morning and take this little box and throw it out there. And there's only one reason that that thing goes down. You know why it goes down? There's nothing in it to take it up. And listen, this, this earth could open her mouth and the ground could part asunder underneath my feet. And really in a spiritual sense, in a technical sense, I can't go down. You say, why? There's something in me that's going to take me up. This whole world can go down. This whole world can go down. This whole world can go down, but I'm going up. I'm going up. You know what's wrong with a lot of us, Brother Pedro? You know what's wrong with us, with us, a lot of us, Brother Tommy? What's wrong with us is we got our eyes set in the wrong place. We're looking for a hole in the ground when we should be looking for a hole in the sky. We should be looking up, not be looking down, not looking for the undertaker. As somebody said, I'm looking for the upper taker. Looking for somebody to come claim me. Looking to go up. I'm looking to go up. They told Elisha, they said, go up, thou bald head. Go up. And you better be careful doing that to old Elisha. Elisha called them two she bears out of the woods to come and get you. Mm-hmm. But one day I'm going up whether I'm bald or not. Me and daddy, me and my old daddy, my old bald-headed daddy, we'll be going up. And you can sit around and say, go up, thou bald head, go up, thou bald head, but we'll be gone. We'll be gone. All right. Well, I've wasted about, not a waste, but I've spent about 15 minutes on all that stuff. But it's fun. It's fun. I'm glad I'm saved this morning. Glad that Jesus Christ is not in the grave. Glad that Jesus is not in the grave. And so Paul opens the chapter here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He opens it with the fact that with the gospel. And what we know that the gospel according to 1 Corinthians 15 is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the scriptures. Just like the Bible says it is exactly how it took place. And listen, let me put it out this way to you. <clears throat> the Bible says that when Jesus resurrected, he came up bodily. I believe it that way. I don't believe that it was just a spiritual resurrection. I don't believe that when Jesus got up out of the grave that it was just a ghost that got up out of the grave. I believe it was Jesus Christ in his body. He said a spirit. He got over there with them disciples when they were gathered in the upper room for fear of mind because the Jews and the chief priests and scribes and Pharisees, they're afraid that they were going to come get them. And Jesus showed up in front of them. And he said, hey, he said, it's me, boys. And they kind of looked at him squarely-eyed like a lot of church members look at preachers who get a little bit carried away in their display and their little demonstration of a sermon. And so they looked at him a little bit squarely-eyed, and he said, hey, he said, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bone as you see me have. He said, it's me. It's me. Just as sure, just as sure as it was, just as sure as it was as you saw me when I was crucified, it's just me the same way, just except my body's glorified now. Quite a bit different. It's quite a bit different. That's what happens in resurrection. And so he said, he, listen, he said in verse 5, he said in that he was seen. This is after he talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 5, after the resurrection, he was seen of Cephas. 
he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of, of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. Listen, all I'm telling you this morning is that exactly how the Scripture says it take, took place is exactly how I believe it took place. I believe that when he got up out of the grave and he went and started showing himself to all of these men that believed in him, I believe that that is exactly what took place. It was a bodily, it was a bodily resurrection, not something spiritual. It wasn't an allegory. In other words, we don't look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ and say, well, that stands for something. It don't stand for nothing. You know what a red bow stands for? A red bow. You know what the blood of a lamb in the book of Exodus stands for? It stands for the blood of a lamb. You say it points forward to the blood of Jesus Christ. I understand that, but them Israelites didn't know that. You know what the blood of Jesus Christ stands for? It stands for the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me just throw this in here right quick and I'll move on. The more symbols of religion that you have, the less substance you have. The more symbols of religion that you have, the less substance that there is. All these people walking around, a lot of you Christians, listen, a lot of you Christians listening to me this morning, the only thing your Christianity means to you is symbolic. That's the only significance that your Christianity has for you. That's why the only thing that you do is you come to church, and that's all you ever do. And sometimes it's a chore for you to do that. You say, why? Because your Christianity is just one big symbol. Don't mean nothing else to you. That's unfortunate because Christianity is about a living Savior. It's not about a dead Savior. It, it is. It is an actuality. Something. It, it's real. It means something. But listen, we could stay there and preach about that for a long time this morning about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that He came up. But listen, Paul in the chapter uses that as a springboard very quickly to go to the concept that if Jesus rose from the dead then that proves the fact that there is a resurrection. Resurrection is possible. Look in verse 12. He said, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? I think that's pretty self-explanatory. I think you can understand that just reading the English. Paul's saying, hey, you know, some of you are saying that people don't come up from the dead, but we're preaching that Christ came up from the dead. So if Christ came up from the dead, then it stands to reason that people, Jesus was a people. You say he was the son of God. He was a person. He was a man. Yeah. Hebrews chapter 2. If Jesus came up from the dead, who was a man, took upon him the form of the servant, was made in the likeness of men. Okay, if Jesus was a person and he came up from the dead, then that proves that men will come up, that, that there's a possibility that men can come up from the dead. Now, that should pique your interest a little bit. should make you interested in what the Scripture has to say. Verse 16, he said, For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. He said, If there is no resurrection, if men don't resurrect, then Christ is still in the grave. So my question to you this morning is, according to what Jesus Christ did at Calvary, the fact that he was buried and he rose again, is there a resurrection? Answer should be very obvious to you. Absolutely. Resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here we are this morning celebrating, quote unquote. Of course, I come every Sunday and celebrate this. I'm very thankful for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But nonetheless, nonetheless, here you are. And the thing that you have in the forefront of your mind, because it's Easter, which you don't, what you got in the forefront of your mind is Easter bunnies and 
rabbit eggs. I got news for you. Rabbits don't lay eggs, kids. Sorry. Sorry. That's mama and daddy. That's mama and daddy going out and painting all them eggs. Sorry. Uh, hey, there's no Santa either. But anyways, <clears throat> you say, I can't believe you broke my child's heart. Well, trust me, there's more of that where that came from. And not just from the pulpit, it's life. But nonetheless, listen, nonetheless, here you are in church this morning thinking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen, that points to something. If there's a resurrection of the dead, then that points to the fact that there's a possibility that you can come up. That's what Paul's getting ready to try to explain. So, it's evidence, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is evidence that it's possible for men who, though they were once dead, they're able to live again. The same way Jesus did, literally, physically, bodily. That's why, that's why the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that aspect of that doctrine is so important. Because if Jesus rose from the dead simply as a spirit, then the only hope that you have in living in the afterlife, quote unquote, is to just live as a spirit. Spirits don't get to eat. Spirits don't get to enjoy a lot of things that you get to live, that you get to enjoy as a man, as a person. So if Jesus resurrected from the dead literally, physically, and bodily, then you get to do that too. Grand possibility. You say, but, but they're dead, but people die. I know, but there's a possibility that you can resurrect. That's right. And you know, listen, look in verse 17. He says, and in Christ, if, if Christ, this is verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ and if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain and ye are yet in your sins. That's a grave thought. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men most miserable. You know, I'm afraid that's exactly what the resurrection of Jesus Christ has become to a lot of Christians, to the church as a collective whole. I'm afraid that that's what it's become. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has become a source of comfort within the parameters of this life only. Yes, sir. You say, why would you say that? Go down to a graveyard and listen to people preach down at the graveyard. Sure, you go down to the graveyard and listen to somebody preaching. All it is is a remembrance of their life, which I'm not against doing that. I'm not against reminiscing about the good times that you had with folks or whatever. I'm not against that stuff. But if that's the only hope that you have, if the only comfort that the resurrection of Jesus Christ brings to you is the fact that you have a good life to look back on and remember and have happy thoughts about, then, buddy, you're a pretty miserable fella. Does the salvation bring a lot of benefits for your life right now? Absolutely. But if that's all you got, that's a miserable life. You know, that's how you test a man's religion. That's how you test a man's religion. You don't test a man's religion by looking at his life. You take him down to the grave and ask him where his religion's going to take him when he gets there. That's how you test a man's religion. Listen, their religions are a dime a dozen. There's, there's thousands of them up out there. And every single one of them, you know what they tell you? Be a quote-unquote good person. But listen, when you get down to the grave with every single one of those religions, there's no comfort. There's no peace. 
There's no confidence of what's going to happen to you after you die. I went down here uh, down to a little neighborhood. I don't even remember how to get there, but I remember out on the back side was the airport here in Folkestone. Did you know that Folkestone has an airport or did at one time? Kind of hard to believe, but it, it's out there nonetheless. And I was out there knocking on the door one time. An older gentleman came to the door. He probably in his 70s, maybe his 80s. <clears throat> I knocked on the door and I said, hey, how are you, sir? And he said, I'm doing well. I said, I'm Nathan Irie. I'm out on visit, church visitation, just inviting folks to come to church. He said, well, I appreciate it. Told him where I went to church. He said, well, I appreciate the invitation. I said, sir, I said, let me ask you a question. I said, if you died today, would you know, do you know what would happen to you if you died today? And he said, well, he said, I, I think I would go to heaven. And I said, well, I said, the Bible says uh, that those things that are written in the Scripture, he said, those things that are written in the Scripture are written that you may know that you have eternal life. You know what that old bird told me? He said, well, you don't have to be so mean about it. Wham! <clears throat> I'm telling you that you can know, according to the Scripture, you can know that when you get down to the grave, you can know what's going to happen to you. Yeah. And you think I'm mean for telling you that? Seems to me, seems to me a little backwards. I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah. But see, that's what you got. That's what you got with these religions that are a dime a dozen. They can all get you to the grave. And when you get down there, there's no confidence of what's going to happen to you afterwards. You know why? Most of them are serving a dead Jesus. You go into their churches. Most of those churches, listen, most of those churches here in the United States, you go, you go out there into the, those Eastern religions and you get out there into the Middle East and you get among all those religions, it might be a different story. But I'm talking about American religions, religions that, Protestant religions. You walk, in, you walk into a Catholic church and what you see is you see a cross with a dead Jesus on it. Well, them Protestant churches, they protested against some of the things that the Catholic Church was doing, and so they came out, of which Baptists are not Protestants. Let me just throw that in there for a second. Baptists are not Protestants. We never have been a part of them, never will be a part of them. And that's because we're Bible believers. <clears throat> that's essentially that. That's a big sermon that I don't want to get into right now, but for all of my Presbyterian and Methodist friends which I don't have any, but not because I wouldn't have them. I'm just telling you, we're not, we're not Protestants. But all these Protestant churches protested against things that the Catholic Church were doing, but one of the things that they held on to was a dead Jesus. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's why they sprinkle all their babies the same way that the Catholic Church does. We don't do that. You say, why? We don't serve a dead Jesus. We, we serve a living Savior. We serve a living Savior. We serve a living Savior that was crucified, buried, rose again according to the scriptures and so listen the fact that we serve a living savior what that means is when we get down to the grave when we get down to the grave we've got confidence that there's something beyond it there's something there's something long beyond the mouth of that grave but see that hope that hope in all these other religions it stops at death, death's door listen not mine my hope is going to take me right into the mouth of the grave and it's going to march me right on past it. It's going to march me right on past the mouth of that grave. Jesus Christ in John chapter 2, he's looking at those, he went into the temple and he cleansed the temple. He kicked all them fellas out that were in there doing all that stuff. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, got upset with Jesus because they destroyed, Jesus destroyed their source of income. 
Them Pharisees had rule. They had, they had authority. They had authority over, that, over the affairs of the temple. And what they had done is they'd let a bunch of money changers and they had let a bunch of people in there to start selling doves and animals so that people could bring their sacrifices. I guarantee you them Pharisees were taking a cut off of that stuff. Jesus went in there and busted the whole thing up. Went in there and they come out there and they said, By what authority doest thou these things? And he said, Destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up again. They said, This temple's been in building for 40 years. You're going to raise it up in three days? But he's talking about the temple of his body. The Bible goes on and tells you in John chapter 2. They, they pick Jesus up in the Garden of Gethsemane. And they take him out to an old rugged cross. They take him out there to Calvary and they crucify him. Joseph of Arimathea grabs him and takes him and puts him in a borrowed tomb. And they bury him. And Mary one morning and a couple of other ladies, they come out there one morning. And they get out there that morning and they come up on that grave and that tomb, that that stone's rolled away from the tomb's door. And they walk in there, and he's not there. He's not there. She runs back, and she finds the disciples. She says, hey, they've taken our Lord somewhere. Somebody's come and got him. He's gone. He's not there no more. And boy, Peter and John, they take off and start heading towards the tomb. And I guarantee you, the whole way there, Peter, in the back of his mind, is thinking, is it possible? Is it possible? Could it be? I bet when he got down there and stood in, in the tomb, when he got down there and stood in the tomb, the Bible says that John outran him. John, Peter and John run. I guess maybe Peter must have been short and fat. I'm not sure. Maybe John was tall and skinny. Of course, I've seen some short fellas run faster than tall, lanky fellas. But nonetheless, he gets down there and they run out there. And the Bible says that John outruns Peter and John stops at the door of the tomb. He stops and he looks in. And the Bible says that Peter just plowed right in there, just like good old Peter. Man, just jumped right in there. Pow! And I imagine, I, I kind of wonder what was going through his mind. Standing there looking at those grave clothes that were undisturbed, just looked like it, you had somebody wrapped up and it just fell right down. And look up where they had that napkin laid over the face of Jesus Christ when they wrapped him up in those clothes and that napkin taken up there and folded so neatly and just placed right back up there I can't help but wonder what was going through Peter's mind whole way walking back with John walking back with John said man is it possible is it possible that what he said standing down there in the tomb and he's thinking about John chapter 2 destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up again the Bible said in John chapter 2 after that passage in John chapter 2 the Bible says that his disciples remembered those things that he told the Pharisees right there in John chapter 2 after he was resurrected standing there looking at all those gray clothes and they're sitting there thinking about the fact of destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up again it's day three hmm you say, what is that? That's hope. That's hope. That's a reasonable expectation that what he said is going to come to pass. Could it be? It could be. Well, Paul, listen, Paul here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he ascertains the fact that somebody's going to ask, how's the dead going to come up? How's the dead going to rise? Look here in chapter 30, or verse 35 of chapter 15. He says, but some man will say, how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? You know what he points to? He points to an old seed. 
He says, look in verse 36, he says, Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened, except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not the body that shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or some other grain. He said, when you sow, when you sow a plant, you don't go grab a stick and put it in the dirt. You say, well, you can do that if you're taking cuttings. I understand that. But when you go plant a garden, you typically don't plant your whole garden with cuttings. You plant them with seeds. And he said, it may be wheat, it may be barley, it may be corn on the cob, it may be peas. But he said, whatever you're planting, you're going to plant a seed. You know what that seed is? That's a hole. It's just a shell. You go out and you get you some black-eyed peas or get you some lima beans, and you look at that thing getting ready to put it in the ground, and you look at that little bean, and there it sits in your hand, powerless, lifeless. Looks like a waste. But you know what? There's something in there. You say, what's in there? Life. Listen to me. You can cut that seed open. Listen, you can cut that seed open. And you know what you won't find? You won't find the life. But it's in there. So when you take your loved ones that have passed and you walk down there into the cemetery, you cut them open, but you ain't going to find no life in there, but it's there. If they're saved, that's a big if, but if they're saved, there's life in there. And what you do is you walk out there and you put them in that cemetery. You know what they call cemeteries? Many cemeteries they call such and such memorial garden. What's that? What's that all about? That's exactly right. That's where you plant folks. You walk out here this morning. I was going home after I came up here this morning. was going home to go get my family. <clears throat> and I looked out across over there in the Camp Pickney's uh, cemetery over back there. And all these fresh flowers. People have gone out there all over the graves. And they put all these fresh flowers out there. Fresh floral arrangements. Lots of them. What's that all about? Why do you bring flowers to a, to a grave? Why do you bring flowers to a funeral service? Because something's getting ready to pop up. Something's getting ready to sprout. You thought that was just coincidence, didn't you? Old Miss Sue they had that service out there. You look out there and you stand all these people keeping all their distance and you stand out there and you look at that old grave and you know they dig that hole six feet down, put that little vault in there and they got all that dirt covered up with those green mats so that things don't look you know so bad and things are not offensive. You say, what are they doing? They're planting her. They're just putting her in the dirt. They're fixing to the plant her. I'm not saying that it's not painful, but listen, you open that casket and look at that shell, that husk, that carcass, don't look like nothing's in there. But there's something in there. One day you're going to plant that, you're going to, you're going to plant that thing, and one day it's going to sprout. One day it's going to sprout. The Bible says in Job chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Man that's born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. The Bible likens men's, men to plants. When Jesus Christ went over and healed a particular fella, he said, he says, he touched his eyes and he said, what do you see? He said, I see men as trees walking. Men are likened to plants. And so you take your loved one, you, they come forth like a flower, they're cut down, and all you're left with is a little hole. And you go out into a garden somewhere and you plant them. You know where they took Jesus after he died? They took him down off the, 
off the cross. You say they went and put him in a sepulcher. Where was that sepulcher at? It's in the middle of a garden. Just coincidence. You say, why? It's a seed. One day it's coming up. Verse 51. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Over in Luke chapter 8, I'm going to turn over there right quick. In Luke chapter 8, Jairus comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, my daughter's sick at home. He said, would you come heal her? And the Lord says, sure, I'll come. And on the way there, he gets caught up by this woman who has an issue of blood. And it takes up some valuable time. It takes up some valuable time. And in the process, Jairus' daughter, lying at home sick, she dies. And so when you get down to Verse 49, the Bible says, While he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Thy daughter's dead, troubled not the master. And they come and tell him that, and I'm sure Jairus brokenhearted. The Lord looks at him and says, Fear not, just believe. So he walks in there, and he looks at where that young damsel's lying, and he says, he says Hey, he says, don't make no big deal about it. She's just sleeping. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that all them people that were in there mourning, it says they laughed him to scorn. And you know what Jesus did? Jesus took all them unbelievers and he said, get out. He said, get out of there. The only people that were in there was I know Peter and John. I think James was in there. And apparently that damsel's family, mom and daddy, that's all that was in there. And that, the Lord walked over to that little girl and grabbed her by the hand and said, damsel, maid, Arise. She opened her eyes and she got up. John chapter 11, the disciples talking to Jesus, and Jesus says, Hey, Lazarus is sick. And the Bible says that he tarried two days still. And in the process, Lazarus died. And Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth. He's just sleeping. And the disciples say, well, hey, if he's sleeping, he'll do all right. He'll be fine. And the Lord looked at him and said plainly. The Bible says he said plainly to him, Lazarus is dead. And so they pack up and they go down there to Bethany where Lazarus was, where Mary and Martha was. And he gets down there and Martha meets him and she says, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. And he said, Thy brother shall rise again. She said, I know. She said, I know he'll come up at the last day in the resurrection. He said, no, listen, you don't understand. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, I, you, you're staring at him. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoso, whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? You know, what that, you know what old Martha said? She said, yes, Lord. She said, I believe thou art the Christ. Just resigned herself to it, I suppose. Sure, Lord, I believe. Lord got out, out over there and he went and talked to Mary. And he said, hey, show me, where they, show me where you buried him. And so they took him out there and saw that old tomb. Lazarus was buried in a tomb. Much like the Lord was when he passed away. He was buried in that old tomb. And he said, roll that stone away. Lord, 
He stinks. It's, he'd been dead four days. It's too, he's too far gone. And he said, just, just roll the stone away. And he gets out there and he bows his head and he prays. And then he looks up and he says, Lazarus, come forth. You know what Lazarus did? He did the same thing that Jairus' daughter did. He got up. He got up and he came out. The Bible says in John chapter 5, verse 28, the Bible says that Jesus Christ was talking. He said, the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. You know what's going to happen? They're going to do exactly what Lazarus did. They're going to do exactly what Jairus' daughter did. You say, what's that? They're going to get up. They're going to get up. The Bible says here in 1 Corinthians, it said, verse 53, it said, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. One day victory is going to open its mouth so wide, and it's going to swallow up death like you ain't never seen before. Not just victory, not just going to open up its mouth and take a hold of death. The Bible says that victory is going to open its mouth wide and swallow it up. Go swallow it up. Let me give you an illustration of that and I'll let you go. In Numbers, I'm sorry, in the book of, uh, yeah, I believe it's number 17. Number 17, there's a murmuring that comes up about who God put in charge. Dathan and Abiram are rising up against Moses and Aaron and saying, God hasn't put you guys in charge. Y'all have put yourselves in charge. God deals with the situation, squashes them out. And then after that, that's number 16. Number 17, God comes to Moses and says, I want to put all this stuff out. I want to put all of this stuff out from the congregation of Israel. I want people to know who I've chosen. He said, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to take one rod from the head of every tribe in this nation, Israel. you got 12 tribes. He said, I want you to take one rod from the head of each one of those tribes. And he said, I want you to take those rods and I want you to engrave the names of the tribe on them except for Levi. I want you to put Aaron's name on that. And so they take it and they do exactly as the Lord says. And the Lord says, bring them before me. Let them sit before me. Leave them there overnight. And they left them there overnight in the tabernacle of the congregation. And they come in the next morning. And you know what happened? Aaron's rod budded and produced fruit. Almonds. You know what that is? That's a picture of resurrection. That's a picture of life coming from something that was dead. That's where God showed where the power was. So you come to Romans chapter 1. And Jesus and Paul says, hey... He said, we've declared unto you the Son of God, who the Son of God is, with power by the resurrection from the dead. You go back to Exodus chapter 7, and Moses and Aaron are standing before Pharaoh. Listen to me. They're standing before Pharaoh. And one of the things that God had given to Moses was he said, hey, when you get down there in front of the children of Israel, he said, you're going to take your rod and you're going to throw it on the ground. And he said, it's going to turn into a snake. And God did that for Moses as Moses was standing up there on Mount Horeb, on Mount Sinai, or Mount Horeb, the Mount of God, the Bible says. And so he's standing up there, he's standing up there, and they get down there in front of Pharaoh, and he says, who is the Lord that I should let his people go? And they start doing all these signs and start doing all these wonders. And you know who takes the rod and throws it down? It's not Moses. It's Aaron. 
That same rod that in Numbers chapter 17 came to life, it's a resurrection. That same rod was thrown down on the floor in front of Pharaoh, and you know what happened? It came to life. But Pharaoh's magicians did the same thing. They took all their rods and threw them down. They turned into serpents as well. And you know what happened? Victory went around and swallowed up all of those other serpents. You say, what's that? That's the power of God. Death's got a hold of these folks out here. There's, there's cemeteries all around this place. You just about can't hardly go a square mile without running into a cemetery. Brother Pedro probably knows more about all the cemeteries around here than I do. But I know out at my house, there's out on Spanish Creek, there's two cemeteries. One out by the Methodist Church, one down at Sardis Church. You know what's going on? All those folks laying in there, death's got a hold of them. But if somewhere before they died, they trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. There's something inside of them that one day is going to open its mouth wide and swallow up death just like Aaron's rod went around and swallowed up all those other serpents. Just the same way. You say, what's that from? That's because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. God took His Spirit, the Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead, He took that same Spirit and He put it in you. And so one day... If the Lord tarries, if the Lord doesn't come back before you pass, we're going to dig a hole in the dirt, put you in a casket in an old pine box. Now they're glorified. They look so nice. We're going to take you and put you in that hole in the ground, and one day you're going to come up. You say, why? Just because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Lord, we thank you, God, for your goodness to us this morning. We thank you, God, for the comfort of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that we don't serve a dead Savior. Lord, we thank you, God, that though, you, that though the Lord Jesus Christ came and paid the price for our sins, that, God, that, that is not where it stopped. Lord, we thank you. God, thank you. Lord, thank you for the promise of victory that we have over death and the grave, God. Lord, we thank you for it. Lord, help us, Lord, this morning, God, to comfort our hearts, Lord, with the truth of God's word. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.